Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 26, and then verses 39 through 42. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The woman answered, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. Jesus answered, If you only knew what God gives and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you life-giving water. Sir, the woman said, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this life-giving water? Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become a spring which will provide life-giving water and give eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again, nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband, Jesus told her, and come back. I don't have a husband, she answered. And Jesus replied, you are right when you say you don't have a husband. You have been married to five men, and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. I see that you are a prophet, sir, the woman said. My Samaritan ancestors worship God on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time will come when people will not worship God either on this mountain or on Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming and is already here when people will worship God in spirit and in truth, offering God the true worship that God wants. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah will come, and when he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus answered, I am he, I who am talking with you. Then the woman left her water jar went back to the town and said to the people there, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left the town and went to Jesus. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. Let us pray. Oh God, I am not Moses that I should simply strike a rock to yield its sweet water for this spiritually thirsty people. Nevertheless, we come to you seeking some kind of sign of your presence to still that burning question, is the Lord with us or not? And then we hear these inviting words of the woman at the well saying, come, come and see a man. Could this be the Messiah? Lord, you have been with your people through so much. Tried, tested, and true. And so we quiet our questioning hearts and our clamoring voices. We bow down and worship before you. And we acknowledge that you are indeed with us. And now we know that we shall once again be fed from your hand. And we will be offered the life-giving water that fills and satisfies our souls. Amen.
boys and girls. Now, we have a whole lot of people that are on the road today that are sick. Some of them may be on the road here in the next 30 minutes or so. This is one of those days. I say, I know when I woke up this morning, it was like, oh, my goodness. I missed this was more than any other I can remember as far as that time change making such a big difference. And we have a lot of folks gone in a way. And we also will get our, our praise team will be back a couple of weeks from today. and won't be with us next week, but our guitars and all that kind of stuff will be back as normal. Good number of boys and girls, though. That is great. Good morning. Good to see you, boys and girls. I'm glad to see you as a result of all the snow that we've had and the time changed. And they're making reference to people maybe coming in late, but I'm glad you're here. Um, I've got some things to show you today that I brought with me. But there's three things today that I want to talk about with you. And they are life, Jesus, and living water. Life, Jesus, and living water. Now, I brought as an example, a um, show-and-tell item, something that is really special to me. I really like fooling with these. And it's something that's living. And it's something that doesn't really grow here in Kentucky without some special care and attention. So I'm going to hold it up. And if you think you know what it is, how about you raise your hand, okay? Here's what it is. What is that? Anybody know? What is it? It is a plant. It is a plant. It is a plant that will stick you, actually. Uh, Max, what is it? It is a cactus. Very, very good. Now, how much do y'all know about cactuses? You know a lot about cactus? Okay. What does a cactus need, that cactus need, to live in that pot? What does it need to live in that pot? There's a few things it needs to live in that pot. What does it need to live in the pot? Rocks. It could use some rocks. There's some rocks in there. Yep. Yep. Now, what else does it... Some of the older kids will, or really should know some of these. What are, what are some of the things it needs to live in that pot? How about does it need some sunshine? Needs some sunshine to grow, doesn't it? Okay? That's one thing it needs. Now, there's two others I'm thinking of, and we've just heard rocks. What, what other things maybe does it need to live in that pot? It needs water. Very, very, very important. We all need water to live. So it needs sunshine and water. What does it need to keep it sturdy in this pot so it won't tip over? Rocks, what else though? Something else besides the rocks it needs. What, what's down inside here? What's in the, around the roots of it and keeps it from falling over? Dirt. Dirt. It needs dirt to keep it steady and it needs dirt because it gets its food from, uh, from dirt. So what I'm going to talk to you about today is something, may, it may be the most important thing that I could ever talk to you about, actually. But it's a very difficult concept for even some adults to grasp. So that's the reason I brought a plant, is to show you so it would help you understand it. Um, it is a little hard to understand, and that's why I brought that. You, as well as I, and, and the adults in this room, also need water and sunshine and food to survive. Do we not? We need those things to survive, right? Now, we probably don't eat dirt, or we haven't eaten any lately, but we, uh, we probably eat a little dirt in our life. But that helps us, uh, helps us live. Um, now, those things help us physically, and they help us keep our mind strong. But we need something else to feed us spiritually and that that item and that's what we need what we need spiritually to feed us um, is uh, the living water that was mentioned in the scripture that pastor Tim just read and that's what he's going to be preaching on today is is living water so with this analogy perhaps it's easier for you to understand and think about your spirit that is inside you 
as a plant, okay? So if, that, if there's a plant inside you that's your spirit, it probably wouldn't be a cactus, would it, though? It'd be, it would, that'd be awfully prickly. Maybe it would be something that looks like this, okay? So if this is your spirit, and that's inside you, God tells us that we need living water to feed us and to keep us alive. And that's what he does call it, living water. Not like rain, or not like the water that comes out of a faucet, or the water that we buy at Walmart in a bottle, or the water that flows down the Ohio River out here, but it's living water. We can't see it or we can't touch it, uh, but we can feel it, and we can feel it at times of great joy, and we can feel it at times when we're really sad. We can also feel it in times when we're really, really quiet. It's the spiritual stuff that comes to us from God that makes up this living water. And the only way we can get that living water is God will provide it to us and for us, and it's free. We just have to ask his son Jesus for that. So I want you to do something tonight. When you go home tonight and you get ready for bed and you're getting ready to say your prayers, I want you to take that quiet time and talk to God and listen. And also, I want you to ask God that... uh, I want you to ask God for this water to feed that spiritual plant that's inside you. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's as simple as that. We ask God for um, that spiritual water that he will give us, and it will allow us to live forever. It's a little different than the regular tap water or the water that we drink, and it's something that we can't see or feel. So I hope that made a little bit of sense to you today. I've got something I want to give you to help remind you of it. It's a lifesaver, basically. And you can take these with you, and you can have them tonight, or you can have them later today, okay? But remember, when you eat those lifesavers, that that's part of living water that God provides for us. Here you go. Come get your lifesavers. I'll give you, how about two of these? There you go. They smell good.
when we talk about never thirsting again, I'm reminded of the uh, story of Lee Strobel, who was an atheist and a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And he later became associate pastor at Willow Creek Baptist Church. And his old drinking buddies and rabble-rousers along with him would come up and say, boy, it must be really boring to be a Christian now after all the excitement that you had in your earlier life. And he said, boring? you got to be kidding me. Every day I am working on things that have eternal significance that will go on and on and on. The stuff that you're working on will last maybe a week or two. And I'm thankful right now that we can give to things that last to eternal significance. Bow with me and let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the water from which we can drink that we will never thirst again, that satisfies the eternal significance and the eternal thirst, the God-shaped blank that is within each one of us. And we thank you for this time where we can give to your kingdom and give to the things that have eternal significance and then will last forever and ever. Thank you for this privilege, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard the story one time about a jet that left Washington, D.C. on its way to Columbia, South Carolina. And on board that jet was a counselor traveling to, to Columbia for a mental health conference at the University of South Carolina. The counselor was an atheist. And somewhere along the way, the pilot realized that the, the landing gear was stuck, and that meant trouble. And so he turned the plane and he headed for Greensboro, North Carolina, because there was a facility there where the mechanics could give the pilot instructions by way of radio and make a visual observation of the plane as it flew overhead. Well, the instructions that the mechanics gave were quite dynamic, because the only way to get the landing gear unstuck is to shake it loose. So following their advice, the pilot put the plane through every kind of procedure known to shake down this landing gear. He made several nose dives. 
He rocked the plane back and forth. He even put the plane through a gut-wrenching freefall. And meanwhile, all of the passengers on board, green to the gills with air sickness, made preparations for a crash landing. And finally, in a spray of sparks and flames, the pilot cradled the aircraft to a safe landing a few hundred yards away from the maintenance hangar. In an interview later that night, the counselor said that this was his first time flying. And he said that during the tumbles and the turns and the falls of the airplane, even though he was an atheist, he prayed. This, might, this just might make me change my ways, he said. And I just guess it might. You know, there are a lot of stories in the Bible of people who have met Christ and then changed their ways. And the story of the woman of the well is one such story. So I, I would like for us to, to take a little time with this story to see how meeting Christ can be a life-changing experience for each of us. First of all, the setting to this story is very important to our understanding of it. And that's why it's so important for us to know that this story is set in the province of Samaria. Now, you may be familiar with the prejudices that Jews and Samaritans had against one another. The Samaritans were a group of Jews from the northern part of the country who had intermarried with foreigners during the Babylonian exile. And so the Jews looked down their noses at the Samaritans and considered, to them, considered them to be social outcasts and untouchables, racially and inferior and, and practicing a false religion. Both the Jews and the Samaritans claimed to be true descendants of the nation of Israel. The Samaritans descended from the northern kingdom of Israel while the Jews descended from the southern kingdom of Judah. But the Jews believed that Jerusalem was the one true place to worship God, while the Samaritans located the true place of worship at Mount Gerizim. Sometimes the prejudice and animosity between these two groups even resulted in bloodshed and destruction. In fact, in 128 BC, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple at Mount Gerizim and desecrated it. But the Jews believed that any close Physical contact with a Samaritan, like drinking water from a common bucket, for example, or eating a meal together, they thought that this would make a Jew ceremonially unclean. This meant that they were not allowed to participate in temple worship for a period of time until they had gone through ritual cleansing. And the hostility between these two groups was so great that Jewish travelers usually chose not to, not to even travel through the area where the Samaritans lived, even though it may be the most direct route. For example, for someone traveling from Judea down in the south, going to Galilee up in the north, the most direct path would go straight through the province of Samaria. But instead of doing that, most of the Jews would go up to the border of Samaria and then cross over the Jordan River and follow it up on the other side and then back over the Jordan River again once they had moved beyond the border of Samaria, the northern border of Samaria. Folks, this is kind of like going to Nebraska by way of Arkansas just to avoid Missouri. The relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was similar to the relationship today between the Jews and the, and the Palestinians. So this is the background of the story. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling from some, some distance. And I think it says a lot that they're in Samaria. That says a lot in and of itself, doesn't it? Because most of the other people go around it. They're in Samaria. They've been traveling a great distance. He's very tired. He's thirsty. And as the disciples have gone into town to buy some food, he sits down beside Jacob's well. And a Samaritan woman comes along to draw some water. And that's when Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? Well, here we go again. You know that Jesus character. He, you just never know what he's going to do, do you? He asked this Samaritan woman, 
Will you give me a drink? Folks, there were not only strict rules about Jews and Samaritans talking with one another, but there are also strict rules about men and women talking with one another in public. So as you can imagine, this Samaritan woman was surprised when Jesus asked her for a drink, and she was also a bit rude. She says to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Folks, can't we all just get along? (laughs) You know, if there's some way, if there were some way to remove blind hatred from human relationships, then we could solve most of the world's problems today, couldn't we? Jews and Arabs, militant Islamists and the people of the West, even in our own land, blacks and whites and Anglos and Latinos, gays and straights, Republicans and Democrats, fundamentalists and moderates, the list goes on and on. Why can't we all just get along? Tony Campolo tells a powerful story about a friend of his who is a pastor of a church in Brooklyn. It seems that this friend got a telephone call one day from a local funeral director who said that he had a funeral that nobody else wanted to take. And so he asked why, and the funeral director said that the man had died of AIDS and that most of the other ministers in town didn't want to be associated with this. But Tony's friend Jim took the funeral, and Tony asked him, what was it like? Well, he said that when he got there, there were about 30 homosexual men. They never looked up at him. Their heads were down and they stared at the floor the whole time that he spoke. And then after the funeral service was over, they got into their cars and they went out to the cemetery. He stood on one side of the grave with the funeral director and the the homosexual men stood on the other side and they were frozen in place like statues, he said. They seemed to be motionless, not a, a nerve or a sinew moved as he read the scriptures and prayed. They lowered the body down into the grave and Jim pronounced the benediction and then he turned to leave, but he realized that none of the others were moving. So he turned back and he asked, is there anything more that I can do for you? And one of the men said, yes. He said, they always read the 23rd Psalm at these things. You didn't do that. Could you read the 23rd Psalm to us? And Jim said, sure. And he did. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Another man spoke up and he said, there's a passage in the third chapter of John that says that the Spirit of God moves where it wills and and you cannot tell on whom the Spirit of God falls. Could you read that passage? And he did. And then one of the men said, would would you read to us that passage that talks about the love of God, that that nothing can separate us from the love of God? And Jim said, I turned to those homosexual men and I said quite simply this, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither life nor death, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jim said that nothing was more thrilling than to say to these men who had been so ostracized and so hurt by the church that God still loved them and that nothing could separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, folks, we may be different from one another We may have disagreements about theology or polity or policy or politics. One likes things done this way and another likes things done that way. One supports this idea while another supports that idea. One says potato while another says spuds. (laughs) But must we all be hateful and hurtful? And hard-nosed towards our brother or sister. Folks, I don't think it's accidental that the setting of this story is in Samaria. 
Because the greatest problem in our society today is not global warming or poverty, though those are very significant issues. But I think that the greatest problem in our world today is the animosity between differing groups of people. But look at what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did. He reached out to this Samaritan woman. When she, was, when she somewhat curtly turned aside his request for water, he, t- he turns a, a seemingly chance encounter into an evangelistic opportunity. And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink of water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now folks, this is sig- a significant statement. Jesus is offering the gift of grace to this Samaritan woman. He explains to her that if you drink this living water, you'll never be thirsty again. But then the situation gets even more remarkable because she responds to his offer. Sir, give me this water so that I I don't have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus says to her, go and get your husband and bring him back here. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Do we have a problem here? I have no husband, she replies. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. And the woman said, sir, I can see you're a prophet. Well, he's a prophet, all right, but not like any other prophet that she would ever encounter. Because, you see, he was already breaking all of the cultural taboos that society told him not to do. First of all, he was reaching out to a woman. And a Samaritan woman at that. And a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and who, and who was now shacking up with a guy who was not her husband. And what does he do? He offers her grace. Folks, this is startling, even in our day and time. Not because of what it says about Jesus, but because of what it says about us about the church in general, all across this nation and the world. Because, folks, I can't tell you how many times I have witnessed good church folks refusing to offer grace to someone who needs it. And sometimes that refusal of grace is withheld in the name of piety. How did we as a, community, as a faith community missed the gospel so completely? How did we become so judgmental towards others? How did we allow ourselves to shut out those whom we disapproved or, or, or disagreed with? And when, when time and time, Jesus did exactly the opposite. What's wrong with us that we cannot love those for whom Christ died? fact is that Jesus came for all of us. The addicted, the terminal, the mentally challenged, the selfish, the liars, the disobedient, the terrified, the self-indulgent, the troublemakers, the damaged and unlovable ones. Jesus came for all of us with a desire to bring us home and to end our separation from one another and from God. That, my friends, is the gospel of God's kingdom. That is the good news God's grace is available to everyone. And it is good news. Reverend Randall Bell tells a powerful story about a pastor who stood in court beside one of his church members who had been out with the boys and had a little too much to drink. Seems that he was driving home on those rain-soaked roads and through the dense fog and he turned a corner and heard a 
sickening crash of metal and breaking glass. Two young people lay dead. They had been thrown from their motorcycle. He was charged with vehicular homicide and driving under the influence. He sat in court trembling after days of testimony and then the judge was about to speak. And this could mean so much to his future. It could mean years of prison, loss of his job, poverty for his family. And then the judge spoke. The test for drunkenness had not been properly administered. The motorcycle had no proper headlights, and so the jury was ordered to render a verdict of not guilty. All that was ominous and foreboding was now gone. He was a free man. The court, the court declared him not guilty. So his family kissed him. They could go on with their life, all because he had been declared not guilty. And then Reverend Bell adds these words. He said, maybe this story and the way it ended makes you mad because you hurt over those young people who were killed as well you should. But know this, you and I are that man. His story is our story. We are the sinner who finds himself or herself in the presence of the eternal judge. So you see, my friends, not only are we blinded by our prejudices towards people like the Samaritan woman with her unseemly lifestyle, but we are also blinded to the fact that we are the Samaritan woman. We are the Samaritan woman. We too have fallen short of the glory of God, but the hand of grace is reached out to us as well. This, my friends, is a story of a changed life. You may remember how the story ends. His disciples returned and they were surprised, surprised to find Jesus talking with this woman. And then leaving her jar, the woman goes back to the town and she says to the people, Come and, and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the Gospel of John tells us that the people came out of the town and they made their way towards Jesus. And then John concludes the story by saying this. He said, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said now we have heard for ourselves and we know and we know that this man really is the savior of our world wow what a witness a samaritan woman with a questionable lifestyle becomes a recipient of God's grace and now she is a vehicle of grace to guide others to the Messiah. It's pretty neat the way things work out that way, isn't it? Bruce Larson, in his book titled Ask Me to Dance, tells a story about a member of his congregation who had come from another country and Pastor Larson invited her to go with him to an evangelistic seminar and the leaders had prepared tables filled with all sorts of pamphlets and strategies and demographic studies, all aimed at reaching the unchurched folks in their community. And at some point during the program, the, the leaders turned to this woman and asked her to share some of the, the reasons that made the church so important in her country. And at first she was intimidated by the crowd, but then she said, well, we never gave out pamphlets to people because we never had any. We just showed people by our life and our example what it was like to be a Christian. And when they can see for themselves, then they want to be a Christian. Well, I guess that's kind of the bottom line, isn't it? We just showed people by our life and our example what it's like to be a Christian. And when they can see for themselves then they want to be a Christian. 
After her encounter with the master, the Samaritan woman passed the test for being an effective Christian witness. She went to the townspeople and said, there's this man that I just met, and he's pretty remarkable. He's told me all that I've ever done, and yet he's offering me grace. Could this be the Messiah? She passed the test for being an effective Christian witness. And so, I guess the question is, in light of Christ's love for all people, all people, can we pass that test too? Oh God, We thank you that you have reached out to us the hand of grace. That in spite of our own shortcomings and sinfulness, you loved us anyway. And now as we respond to your love and your grace, may we in turn show that same love and grace to those who we think may not even deserve it. Because in fact, God, Neither do we. Amen. The grace of God is truly amazing. And it's available to each and every one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. The life that you live. God loves you. God loves you. And because God loves you. We'll at least try. (laughs) Our love is imperfect, of course, but God's is not. God loves you. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the love of God, the grace, the hand of grace that's reached out to you now. It is a grace of God based on the love of God. It is an invitation to come home, to come into the presence of God, who is our heavenly parent, and, and be with the brothers and sisters of Christ, who are all of us, the Samaritan woman, sinners, saved by grace. Every one of us. So you see, none of us have any accolades to stand on. It is only by God's grace and God's love that we can be where we are in God's family. Maybe you need to respond to that today. Maybe it's time for you to respond to the, to the love of God and the grace of God offered to you by taking that hand that is extended and saying, Yes, Lord, even though I've fallen way short of your standards, I thank you for forgiving me and I thank you for loving me. And offering me this grace and redemption and admittance into God's family. Perhaps you're looking for a church to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our church today. If God's dealing in your heart in any way, we invite you to come as we sing together number 539, Satisfied. Would you come?
May we go now into the world to express in our lives the, le the, the beliefs that we have expressed here in word and in song. No longer believe simply because of what has been said to us, but know for sure that this, this Jesus in whose name we have met is really and truly the Savior of our world. And may we go into this world extending the hand of grace to others as the hand of grace has been extended to us. For we pray this in the name of the one who gives us grace, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.